Well, for once, I think we did the post-game things in the right order, right? Super long post-game news conference, and then a beer, and then podcast. That seems like the right order. Maybe this is what it should be the rest of time now. We definitely have had a lot of long days in in, uh, press boxes where they were trying to kick us out. This is one of those nights. They succeeded. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your end-of-the-season podcast about Division Three football. It is episode number 326, season 16, episode 26. It started at a bus shelter in McLean, Virginia. Now it's in a hotel in Annapolis, 325 podcasts later, and we are here to talk about North Central beating Mountain Union by the score of 28 to 21. I'm Pat Coleman, the person who managed to successfully toss a coin without throwing it into anybody's eyes. I feel like I, uh, I feel like I won today. I feel like uh, North Central won today. I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at D3 Football. I didn't toss the coin. I did get a good picture though of Pat Coleman tossing the coin. 25 years of D3 sports. Quite an accomplishment, sir. Appreciate that. And that guy two guys ago was Keith McMillan, but he he, he wants to go incognito for some reason. I'm Frank Rossi, and I, I just loiter here from time to time, and here I am. And Keith, now we introduce ourselves. All right, I am Keith McMillan. I feel like I finally decided what my post-columnist title should be, and it's just D3 Historian. I don't think I, I watch enough games to be called an expert anymore, but I do have uh, lots of perspective from doing this with you for the better part of 25 years, Pat, and, uh, for, you know, this first Ag Bowl I saw was 97, and uh, we're at 22, so that's, uh, that's 25. That's a mighty long time, sir, and I'm here to tell you there's something else. We will be doing our end-of-season awards on this podcast. We'll tell you who the most outstanding – we have a name for these awards, and what is it for the love of criminy? It's isn't it just D three football dot com offensive player of the year and offensive. defensive player of the year? Yeah, we'll tell you who our offensive player of the year is, our defensive player of the year, and our coach of the year. I don't know why I tried to give it some more complex name. We will talk a little bit about this stag bowl, a game which was, you know, twenty one to nothing with fourteen fifty six to play, and turned into a game that needed an onside kick to be covered in order to finish it off, and talk about our holiday wish list and uh, wrap up what was an amazing 2022 Division Three football season. I, first off, am just glad to have everybody here. We do not have Gordon Mann on this podcast, but Gordon Mann was a key part of our coverage today as well. And I think we're going to talk about somebody that would have been helpful to have Gordon talk about. Gordon is the broadcaster for Delaware Valley and also the guy who basically runs D3hoops.com. Certainly, in October, November, and December. We miss him on this podcast, and he was here on our coverage as well. Yeah, we had a really good really good pregame once we got off the ground there this uh, this afternoon, the evening, with Gordon Mann. Uh, also, halftime Gordon Mann jumping in. Nice interview with Greg Chimera and breaking down the halftime stats for us. So, Gordon, thank you for 
making the trip out to Annapolis to help us out this week. All right. So we had a game in which, boy, it seemed like so many things happened, right? North Central was pretty North Centrally for the first 15 or so minutes of the game. Maybe even just only the first drive, right? North Central comes out and scores on the first drive. Mountain Union gets a couple of defensive stops. They kick to pin North Central deep. Luke Lanen busts out a big ball down the middle that uh, D'Angelo Hardy took to the end zone. And then we came back out after halftime, after a 14-0 halftime, and we saw halftime adjustments like you would expect from a Larry Karras era and beyond Mountain Union team. Yeah, and, and, and Jeff Dart talked about it in the postgame. Kind of was taking the blame on himself for maybe not seeing that a little sooner. And uh, as soon as Mountain Union went to that that uh, new formation in the second half where they, they brought out uh, two tight ends and were lining them up on the same side of the formation, so one was on the line and one was uh, off the line as an H-back or, or wing-back, whatever you want to call it. A but, legal formation, that's helpful. Yeah, legal formations tend to tend to work better than the illegal ones. And uh, had an 18-play drive. The, yeah. it, it failed on, on down, so Mount Union was still scoreless at that point, but it gave Mount Union a little confidence, and it gave viewers who were watching this game, and it was 14-0. And, Pat, I think you introduced this part as a lot of things happened, and I was thinking <laughs> not a lot of things happened, actually, right. in the early part of the game. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in the last 20 minutes or so, uh, or at least 15, it got really good. What was important, I think, on that 18-play drive, though, is uh, from what we could tell, Tyler Echeverry got injured uh, at the very end of that drive, and we did not see him after that drive, did not lead the points for Mount Union. Did that change the entire nature of the game? No, he was not very effective leading up to that point, but clearly, uh, you know, DeAndre Parker, got the name right, not having him hurt uh, matters, I think, a little bit because he's a, he just is a different type of runner uh, for that offense. And so, you know, things went from bad to worse, I think, for that team uh, when it came to the ground game that, that they needed to use to set up, I think, the passing game that finally opened up late in the game for them. That fourth down play call where Lance Mitchell is brought in to try to convert. Is that like a fourth and two or something like that? Yeah deep, deep, deep in North Central Territory just reminded me very much so about a game that none of you guys were at, and I don't know if you saw this play, but at St. John's, when the Warburg starting quarterback, Niall McLaughlin, went out with injury, and they brought in Carter Markham as the backup. They asked him to do way too much on a fourth down play that basically had no chance of succeeding. That's kind of what I thought was the position that Lance Mitchell was just thrust into once the top two running backs were no longer available. Yeah, K.J. Redmond got, got some carries too. Yep. I thought live during the game that they were just being kind, uh, <laughs> spreading against some, getting seniors some carries, and because it was such a long 18-play drive, rotating guys in, sure. I didn't even catch on to, to the Echeverry injury until later in the game. So they're until down. Frank announced it, yeah. Yeah, they're down to their, their third running back, and I think it was less about the, the backs and the skill players, actually, not Braxton Plunk and Wayne Ruby may be excluded from this, but uh, it was more about Mountain Union figuring out how to slow down that North Central defensive line. And once they were able to, to, to slow that rush a little bit, they were able to establish a little bit of offense. Yeah, we talked to Jeff Dart earlier this week about DeAndre Parker and Tyler Echeverry. It's very clear. Anybody that they put on the playoff roster, they have full confidence that they can plug them into a game and they're going to get the job done. And, you know, I think they've got great players there at Mountain Union. I think most times 
a third string Mount Union running back is probably good enough to pick up those two yards. But against one of the best defensive lines, maybe the best defensive line in Division Three, not tonight. And so then North Central comes back the other way. They get a, a big run from Greenfield to get into Mount Union territory. Uh, Terrence Hill comes in with a f- handful of key runs to give Greenfield a bit of a break and also continue to move the chains. And then, you know, it's uh, back in the end zone for North Central. And on the first play of the fourth quarter, they go up 21 nothing. And you and I, Keith, on the broadcast are all kind of going through. is like, when is that last time? that Mount Union was probably down by 21, a.k.a. probably 2013 Stag Bowl. This did not last very long. No, it didn't. And honestly, I said to you at the time, uh, it wasn't the 21 that was surprising. It was the zero on the scoreboard for Mount Union. That had been such a prolific offense all season. They'd been able to run the ball. They'd been able to throw the ball. One of the great receivers in D3 history, one of the great uh, quarterbacks of this season, right, a Gallardi Trophy finalist. And they just weren't able to get anything going until late. And then it got really interesting. <laughs> it got to the really point interesting. Where just where it was a – every time you thought North Central was about to put it out of reach, Mountain Union uh, put some points on the board. And uh, it got a little tense there in the final minutes. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. One thing I want to say, seeing Wayne Ruby in person catching some of those balls late, that is a pro prospect. 110%. That man is finding ways to catch balls with his speed, with his ability, unlike much of anything I've seen in Division Three. He needs to go to the next level, and I'm sure there are people looking to make him get to that next level. Uh, but he almost single-handedly got that team back to a chance to at least tie or maybe win the game. Yeah, and, and, and he was going against an All-American cornerback. Antoine Walker had great coverage on him a lot of the time. And uh, the way Ruby attacked the ball or the way he came back to the ball uh, when he wasn't open and, and Plunk was kind of on the run, he, he made himself open even when he was covered for the first nine-tenths of a route. We all I, – I don't know if we all. Sorry, I cannot speak for all of you. You all have mics. You should speak for yourself. But what I was thinking was there was at some point going to be a time where – Wayne Ruby got behind the defense, and bam, he was going to go 65 yards to the end zone, and Mount Union would be Mount Union again. That didn't really happen, but in that kind of flurry in the fourth quarter, as you said, had a couple of big catches, had a touchdown catch, got them in position for another touchdown, and took what was a very quiet game for him. Remember when his seventh catch was taken off the board when it was replay-reviewed? He had like six catches for 47 yards or something like that. And then he ended the night with nine for 109, a little bit of flurry there at the end. But the game flow went exactly how I said on Thursday. You would have North Central jump out to a lead like they've been doing all season long. They would take away the long pass from Mount Union for a good period of the game. And ultimately, they would get that long pass back probably, but would probably go too little too late. I didn't necessarily think it would be 21-0 to zero for you know, three quarters and four seconds of the game. But this is just the recipe that North Central has used all season long to win these games. And, you know, holding off Mount Union at the end was something that was getting a little bit in doubt, I think, for all of us there. But at the same time, it's another day at the office for North Central. A little bit, yes, Frank. But, you know, really, it was the ability to find the big play that made the difference in the game. You look at North Central's big plays – 
90, 94 yards to D'Angelo Hardy, 58-yard run for Ethan Greenfield, a 34-yard catch for Ethan Greenfield for a touchdown, 42-yard run for Luke Lane. And after those plays, very limited offense for North Central. They only had 11 first downs in this game. Hmm. Mount Union defensively did everything they possibly could except prevent those really big plays. On the other side, North Central's defense did keep Mount Union from really big plays. Wayne Ruby, their longest play tonight, uh, 41 yards. To Wayne Ruby, that happened late, uh, sort of in scramble mode there for Mount Union. Yeah, they had a point where Mount Union was facing a fourth and 13 and had basically only had two plays of 13 or more yards the entire night. Lanin's run, that one in the fourth quarter, made me think, guys, of one of the Justin Beaver runs down the stretch in one of those games, the the one that really sealed the game for, might have been Whitewater's first win against Mountain Union in the Stag Bowl. That's what I was thinking about as that was going on. And you know who he, he knocked out of bounds at the end of that run? Daryl Ely. Daryl uh, Ely. There you go. Uh, Trivia question a, right there. Who's the defensive coordinator right now for Mountain Union and frankly called a, a pretty great game. Uh, nice game from, from Duke Hill, from Von Factor, couple of guys on the Mountain Union defensive line. You know, we talked about Caleb Detellum and Jesse Vale came up and made a, a couple nice tackles. So that defense, aside from the big plays, Greg, played really well, and they kept this game from getting out of hand. You know, North Central talked in the postgame about how they felt it should have been 24-0 at halftime, maybe yeah. 28, and it was 14-0 uh, because th- that big stop on downs and because of the missed field goal. I, I thought the you know the the again the defensive game plan was great. The defense was good and turned what could have been a runaway into a really nice uh, really nice game. One last thing on that that Luke Lane in third down conversion looked like a play where they were happy to let Luke Lane in gain nothing and punt it away right there. Uh, really safe call, but if Luke Lane in is fast enough to get around to the corner wide open space and Luke Lanin was fast enough to get to the corner. So, um, you know, you on the broadcast, Keith, you mentioned they hadn't busted that out too much in the second half and uh, saved it for just the right time. I want to talk about the post game. I was not in the post game other than the fact that it seemed to go on forever. So talk a little bit, any of you guys about these post game news conferences and conversations that went on for practically more than an hour after the game was over. Yeah, I mean, it took a little while for to get North Central's players up there for the, the champions uh, session. But once they got in there, they were still struggling to figure out who was going to be on the dais. There was some sign shuffling there. And then they got in there and, you know, um, we've interviewed Brad Spencer a couple of times. And Brad Spencer has thoughts. And he, you know, was asked to give some opening remarks and... He gave his remarks, praised his team immensely, uh, praised the moment, and then questions around to the players, and they had stories, and they had things that they wanted to talk about as well. We went about 35 minutes with the North Central team in their press conference, which is, you know, pretty long for for one of these at Division 3, but... No real wasted energy in that press conference. I thought it was all good stuff. Yeah, no, a bit of a love fest, I think, for, for North Central, and rightfully so. Uh, second championship in the past three Stag Bowls, three state cha- Stag Bowl appearances, and uh, got to avenge, flush the feeling of losing at this stage last year and uh, said that they never had any doubts in the fourth quarter 
even though that game probably got a little closer than than they would like. And so the 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 love fest was a, b- a bit of them talking about the culture and the program. And and as we asked a couple of questions that had some long view on it, because North Central is currently the king, the kings of D three, right? Not just the the champions this year, but two out of the past three. Prior to that, Mary Harden Baylor had been to four out of five and had won three of five. And prior to that. Whitewater had their stretch where they they were going head to head with Mountain Union uh, for ten most of ten years. There was one year in there where St. Thomas jumped in, and Whitewater won six in that stretch. And so something that Brad Spencer got to was that we don't feel like we're at the level yet with Mountain Union, which has been doing this for thirty years. You know, right, ninety three is the first championship for Mountain Union, so uh, this is, remains the standard. Whitewater did it in in the two thousands. Mary Harden Baylor and and North Central they're the kings right now they're at the top um but they feel like they're just getting started. Well that's what I want to ask right. North Central wants to be known as the machine. They want to be the machine more than be known as the machine. How long does this have to run before that becomes reality before like they want to be Mountain Union but they really said they want to be the machine. That is the Jeff Thorne thing that Brad Spencer has taken and continued in Brad Spencer fashion, but I'm not quite sure if I even know the answer, but it's not three years. It's more than that, right? It's not a consecutive number of years thing. It's a duration over time situation. So if they do this religiously for a decade uh, with maybe a couple misses here and there, but they stay in the conversation, they stay in control to a certain extent, then that's what Mount Union has been. Yeah, okay, what was it, 18 out of 20 over a certain period of time uh, in terms of stag bowls? I don't think you need to do that to become the Mount Union type. I think it's just a question of being there in the conversation consistently. Right now, they are, but so is Mary Harden Baylor to a certain extent too. And so, you know, we'll see who pulls away here ultimately. Maybe that's what the future is. Maybe it's going to be Mary Harden Baylor in North Central in the way that we had Whitewater and Mount Union. Maybe Mount Union comes back and takes their perch back. I don't know, but you can't put a specific number on anything like this, I don't think. I think right now you have four programs now that are known as the elite four programs, and we know Whitewater kind of unexpectedly got knocked out in the first round this year. But uh, the four fi- the four semifinalists last year were were uh, Mary Harden, Baylor, Whitewater, Mountain Union, North Central. They were matched up differently, and it was set up to, to go that way this year, and, and three of those teams made it back to the semifinal. So I think those are your four premier teams, and then there's some other teams that are uh, cut below. But I also think North Central is an inspiration to those teams who are a cut below. Um you know, whether it's like your Bethels and Wheatons and Linfields and, 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 you know, even like Delaware Valley. And then you have teams that kind of feel like upstarts like Wartburg. Are they Brockport? Right? Like a team that gets right. to the semifinals once and then we don't see them quite at this level again? Or are we at the beginning of a sustained run for, for Wartburg? And I think that's the fun of it. You can't really know the answer to the question in one year or two years. You have to look back at it over the course of five or ten years and say – uh there's been a sea change in D3, and there really has, because early 2000s, it was just Mountain Union. Yep. It didn't really matter who else made it to the Stag Bowl. Sometimes they made it interesting, but they weren't going to win. 
Then you had Mountain Union and Whitewater, and now we've got four teams. And really, and I think this may bleed into a discussion, hopefully, about what a wonderful season this was pretty much from jump. The, the competitiveness throughout the division, and we say things like this every year, but I, I don't think we've we've agreed that I don't think we've ever seen anything like this where the, uh, there were so many teams that were so competitive. Uh, the matchups early on in the season from St. John's and Whitewater playing right away and then Mary Harden Baylor going to Whitewater and Trinity playing Wheaton and that game going to overtime. There were so many great marquee games. Um, and you're, you know, when you're, when we're filling out our last top 25 ballot, there are 10, 12 teams where you're like, this team was really good this year. Right. That team could be number eight. It could be, you could be four on someone's ballot and 12 on someone else's ballot. That's how good of a season it was. And that's, a testament to how how the 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 power I guess has spread a little bit throughout this division. When people would say, "Got to move Mountain Union up a division," right, as if this were European soccer or something like that, we would always say, "No, you got to get better. You got to be the better team that comes up and challenges Mountain Union." And Whitewater did that, and then Mary Harden Baylor also did it, and now North Central is also doing it. And I'm sure that's a good part of why Division Three was so awesome this year. Next piece of business on our podcast here at the end of the season is naming, determining, debating if necessary, the D3Football.com Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year and the Coach of the Year, or whatever I want to call them. Apparently, I can't even remember what we call our own awards, but that seems to be correct. So why don't we start with the easy one? Can I get a show of hands for Ethan Greenfield as D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year. I see lots of hands. I was going to say, this is not a visual medium, so I get that. I do think it was there were there were four Gallardi Trophy finalists, and any four, I would have been okay with any four of them winning it. I mean, some of them were not on our first team, so that would be difficult. Kyle King didn't have a great week last week, and it probably took him out of it, but I don't think Bethel goes as far as they did. And I, I had Bethel in my top five on my final ballot without uh, Jaron Rosti. Um, I think you could make a case for him for Offensive Player of the Year. But after, you know, Greenfield, in the in the biggest games, the numbers that he put up over the course of the season, the, the, the way he played and what he represented, you know, kind of like the ideal D3 athlete, the leader, the um, – you know, like again, the toughness on the field. I think uh, you can't you can't argue with that. Two touchdowns in the championship game, Gallardi Trophy winner. Um, you know, really, really one of the most out like one of the most outstanding careers in Division Three history. Um, seems appropriate at this time to name Ethan Greenfield the Offensive Player of the Year. He was so utility. I mean, just look at that first touchdown tonight uh, where, you know, <laughs> of all things, he's just streaking down the field to catch a pass in the end zone, not the way I thought he would start his scoring uh, tonight. And that's just the thing. He would do whatever he needed to do to get this team back to this position, the leadership and everything else. This is an easy one, as you said, Pat. Moving on to D3Football.com, Defensive Player of the Year as a refresher, kind of the – key people who were on our first team All-America team kind of by position group shall we say. If we're talking up front I think Michael Nobile of Delaware Valley um, maybe based on tonight Dan Lester of North Central possibly Luke Sherman of Johns Hopkins he's a junior those are our 
big guys up front. And not to uh, dismiss Dawson Dietz, who had amazing numbers this year, too, for W&J. Um, we talk about the linebacker core. Owen Grover there is the uh, first guy who really jumps off the page. Antoine Walker at cornerback is the probably the top guy, especially after tonight in the secondary. Are there other candidates that we should be talking about that I did not mention just now? It's a two-man race for me. If no one else wants to wants to take this one, uh, I, I think you he, are the token defensive guy here in the room. So <laughs> hey, he'll call me a token. Antoine Walker and and uh, Michael Nobio. Del Val's been a been a. I think I used the word elite on Twitter, and somebody got on me. <laughs> and I mean, they they are they are elite, right? They're not one of the top four programs, but they're a, top, a program that advances in the playoffs every year, right? Wins its conference. Defensively, we're great. You saw Mount Union be held to 22 points against them in the quarterfinal round, and uh, Mount Union scored 21 tonight on on one of the great defenses uh, maybe of all time in, in North Central this season. He was the guy who made that defense go. He wasn't the only guy, right? They had, they had other great defensive linemen uh, and, and other great players on the defense, but he's been for you know three years uh, an elite pass rusher, uh, guy who's who couldn't single-handedly lift um, a, a defense. I think Walker was probably the the perfect addition to a championship caliber program already, someone who played at uh, Northern Illinois and Southern Illinois before he came to North Central. If you take a look at, at what North Central did this season, Wheaton put 20 points on them. Mary Harden-Baylor put 14. Mountain Union put 21 tonight. No one else touched double digits. They had six or eight shutouts. I'm, uh, I'm, maybe I'm counting these two 68-3, 63-3 games. They're technically not shutouts, right? But right. that defense was outstanding the entire season. And when it came down to it, when, when North Central needed to advance, Walker held Brandon Jordan to five catches, and two of those catches were touchdowns. All right, but he played well against Wayne Ruby tonight for, for a good portion uh, of the night. And... Uh, you know, that, that's that's my argument for him. I think my case on Walker versus Jordan is just that, you know, Kyle King only had one healthy half. The interception that Walker had on King was after King got hurt. King's passes just kind of floated. You know, I don't, like, if we go four quarters of, you know, fully healthy passing game, North Central still wins that game, and they still win that game going away, but I just don't know that Walker wins nearly as much of that head-to-head battle. They have so many weapons on defense. I just don't think that, you know, without him, they don't have the success level. I think Michael Nobile is honestly that person at Delaware Valley, and let's face it, what was the final score against uh, Mount Union uh, for them? 22-6. Yeah, and so, you know, you look at the number of points – Ultimately, uh, defenses give up, and it was right on par with North Central, and that is the anchor on that defense, no doubt, uh, 110%. And so they don't have that season. And Berrios showing up and doing what he did on offense was a game-changer for them that allowed them to go and run that table, I think, this season uh, in the MAC. But – I think Nobile is where they really got their structure from in the first place. I like Nobile, but I don't have good, eloquent reasons why to say it. I don't have a problem with it. Looking at Michael Nobile coming back from a, a really tough Achilles injury mm-hmm. that cost him last season, 19 
19 and a half tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks. And this is with Michael Nobile getting as much attention as you can possibly put on any one defensive lineman every single game. He's been one of the most dominant defensive players for his entire Delaware Valley career. And I think I'm on Michael Nobile for this. I am going to go ahead and read the room and say Michael Nobile, senior from Brick, New Jersey, defensive end for Delaware Valley, is the 2022 D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year. All right, so Greg and I were talking about Coach of the Year in the car on the way back from our post-Stag Bowl rest and relaxation, shall we say. And I want to throw out two candidates, and then I want to hear if anybody else has other candidates for Coach of the Year. That's our remaining award. And we want to talk about anybody beyond kind of the two guys from the five. Looking alive in the five for Chris Winter and for Brad Spencer. Is there anybody else we need to talk about? I had some notes, and and I thought it was a three-person race. The argument for me is uh, who does the most with the least. And in that case, you may bring Don Beebe into the conversation. Aurora, uh, you know, not necessarily the level of program, the conference that, you know, North Central and and Mount Union and Mary Harden Baylor play in. Beat Whitewater, won another game in the second round, certainly not nearly that competitive against Warburg in the quarters. Uh, I thought you could make a case for for Ryan Larson of Carnegie Mellon. And, and Chris Winter, I think, uh, of, of Warburg was, was the third guy on my list. I think, you know, Greg and I talked real briefly about uh, BB also. It's just like Winter beat him head-to-head in that quarterfinal mm. game, which for us in the all-region stage was right before we named that team. So that was why Winter got that nod ahead of Don Beebe. Obviously, Don Beebe did an amazing job for Aurora this season. And getting a uh, Aurora team that lost to Hope. Right. To start the season to knock Whitewater out of the playoffs in round one. Just, you know, that's just the course of the, the season, the way their trajectory changed. And, and they changed the, the playoffs. But, yeah, they did. Uh, along with Warburg, actually both teams in that, because we thought it was going to be St. John's, Lacrosse, or Whitewater coming out of that side and it ended up being Warburg coming out of that side. So maybe that's your argument for, for Chris Winter, but, uh, but I think uh, you, could make, you could discuss all those guys. Aurora did lose to Hope, Keith, but they did not lose Hope, and that was key. Wow. Uh, I like the fact you brought up uh, Larson. Uh, I I think the North Central Carnegie Mellon matchup that took a year to actually take place would have been a much different affair before he was coach. Uh, Sure. And the way that game played out was very impressive. Their defense showed up in the way that they had been showing up all season, but nobody was necessarily buying into that strength of their defense, uh, especially until that point, I think. But uh, I think in this situation, I got to lean toward Wartburg and Winter. I, I don't know where they came from, per se, but they made it entertaining. The passion he showed on that sideline during the semifinal game was something else. <laughs> it sure was. Uh, yep. That's an animated guy in a game like that. Absolutely was. Uh, but. He's passionate, and he must have lit a fire underneath this team all season long to get to this point, uh, enough so that I believe they've got a bunch of, bunch of guys that want to come back for their fifth year already, and so they're going to be making some noise, I think, next year. Yeah, and certainly no knock on Brad Spencer. Outstanding job this season 
with the weight of expectations, getting guys to come back for their fifth year uh, so that they would have a loaded roster right. and go win, win a Stag Bowl. Um, I think working with a team that was number one in the poll by midseason versus Warburg, Greg started to see them creep up. We started to put them in the teens and in our ballots, and uh, we realized it's by the end of the season that's a top ten, maybe a top five team on a lot of a lot of teams' ballots. Yeah, we saw Wartburg really sort of raised eyes with a shutout against UW Stout early in the season, and then the defense kept doing their thing. They're turning people over left and right, shutout after shutout after shutout. Um, you know, Wartburg ends up as a team that reaches a new program high in wins. They reach a new program high in terms of how far they advance in the tournament. Breaking through to the semifinals is is a really big deal in this tournament. It's not a ton of teams that play in the semifinals. Not just there's only four teams each year, but historically there's not a ton of teams that right. play in the semifinals. And that's a that's a really huge achievement. For they a program that hasn't been there, they didn't just Thank break through. That. They almost won the damn thing. <laughs> they sure did. I mean, they were leading with uh, two they, minutes to play. They right? took the lead twice in the fourth <laughs> right. quarter at Mount at Union. Mount Union. Yes. Yeah. The kind of people who do that are North Central 2019, and whatever Wesley team that was that 62-59 game. Um, I will. No, I will note that. Uh, North Central 2013 also had the lead in the fourth quarter. Did have the lead in the fourth yeah, quarter. In the final two two minutes as well, and Kevin Burke walked them down the field. And at Braxton Plunk, this season, the Baldwin-Wallace game, the Warburg game, and almost did it again uh, tonight here in Annapolis, um, had some of that same mojo. And he, he won't go down as a champion, but uh, certainly had the, had the the medal of a champion and, and played that caliber. He won't go down as a champion, but he's a winner, a true winner. But for D3Football.com Coach of the Year, it would be Chris Winter. Is that what I'm hearing? So Winter is the winner of that award. So that is our awards checked off in the book. I got one more thing before we go. I have a song. No, just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I have a headache. <laughs> I wanted to, before we go, in the spirit of the holidays... How about our holiday wish list? And I know I primed you guys to think about this over the course of the week. And maybe I will start with mine as a refresher. Yes, please. You guys are all staring at me like nothing. All right. Well, that's so, because you said you were going to go last. And then you said, and now you're saying you're going to go first. Well, because you all look at me like you're deer in the headlights. So I thought maybe I should go first. We're just following our fearless leader. Why is this different anyway? All right, so on my holiday wish list, and if that holiday were Labor Day, I'd be super happy about this too, is that any parents of freshman football players just take a whole redshirt year from social media. Don't start spouting off about what you think Division Three is about if you've never been in Division Three. Let your kids play or sit or whatever it is. Sit back and learn before you start running your fingers over that keyboard. I would say running your mouth, but, you know, it's like a typing thing. That would be my wholehearted request. If you wanted to get me something for the next holiday, all you folks out there, that would be great. 
Pat, I love your optimism that social media will still exist by the time next season. Social media will yeah. still exist. I just don't know if the platform that these people commonly use will be the one. I may delete mine. I feel like there's a good Herm Edwards, don't press send, drop it. <laughs> so when you tweet all that stuff out and you get ready, you look at yourself, oh, it says, don't press send. So you can think about what you're getting ready to press. My wish would be um, that we have some of the, the same scheduling and, and that same attitude um, carries over that we had this year. I think not only did we get the entertainment of St. John's and, and, and Whitewater playing uh, early in the season, Whitewater, Mary Harden, Baylor, Trinity, Wheaton, Harden, Simmons, Platteville, so many games outside of conference play that were really interesting games, games that we were looking at late in the season, like W and J and John Carroll to figure out who to put in the top 25. Those games, I hope more teams see that 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 doesn't hurt, doesn't didn't keep Mary Harden Baylor from from getting to the semifinals because they traveled to Whitewater early in the season. And I think when you win those games, you know your St. John's or or the Warburg Stout game, right? We we didn't realize it at the time how indicative that game was of of what we were going to see later in the season. But I, I just would love to see more of that. So that would be my wish. Uh, schedule like it's your last game. I loved that not only did we have so many games like that this year, but some of the conference games were so good too, right? So oh, like, sure. right, you know, long kicks needed for Oshkosh to win or for uh, Whitewater to beat lacrosse and all sorts of uh, amazing things that happened in games that were going to happen anyway on top of all of that great stuff we had in September. Can you imagine if this Trinity Wheaton overtime had gone differently? Well, that game was 17-16. Trinity wins by one. They get a one seed. Wheaton has to go to Bethel. Uh, you know, Wheaton wins that game. A lot could go differently. My wish list? I don't wish for much, really. I don't want a lot for Christmas. Next year, I just really want them to put the seed numbers on the brackets <laughs> so that we can avoid... Uh, you know, we like look, we can have Ugh. our forty-eight to seventy-two hours after the release of the bracket to be concerned about who's seated where and who might have to travel where. Um, third round surprises about who's going where are probably something we can avoid if we just put the seeds on the bracket, please. People go home thinking that their duties are done at these schools and everything else, and then they're called back, hey, we got another game out of nowhere we didn't expect to have. It's just not right, ultimately. A little predictability wouldn't hurt us, so Greg, spot on on that. Put your seatings on the bracket. Put your seatings on the bracket. Put your seatings on the bracket. Wow. My wish is that I get to attend uh, another football game that Trenton Duper uh, is quarterback in. Uh, it was life-changing for me this year to have a conversation with him in the throes of what he's experiencing right now with the, uh, the cancer he's trying to beat. and uh, Remind people who Trenton Duper is, please, because we know. But yeah. I was going there. Uh, the quarterback of Center College who cannot play this year because uh, during their spring trip, basically, or summer spring-ish trip uh, to Ireland, uh, he experienced pain and uh, eventually realized uh, through a lot of tests and whatnot that he had a nine centimeter large tumor. Uh, and it was uh, something that, uh, like I said, caused him a lot of pain, but obviously was a big, big problem uh, that they had to try to shrink down. And they've gotten it down to about two to three centimeters. Uh, but the 
throes of chemotherapy over and over again are taking a toll on him. And I'm not sure if he will play football again because of what it's done to him. But uh, I hope he does. But at the very least, I hope that he's able to be healthy and watch many, many, many more football games down the line. He was excited to watch Stagpole uh, tonight. I hope he did. Uh, but it's just a reminder of, you know, what the game of football is. It puts it in perspective uh, for me this year. Uh, and I didn't necessarily expect that when I started talking with him back in September to see how he was doing. And then the lead up to that interview and everything else, it, it, it was, as I said, life changing for me, what happened there. And as somebody who's raising money each year doing the sparkle man or spark, sparkle mirror or whatever thing, uh, for cancer tonight meant even more for me to go out there and do that. Frank, remind us where people can donate to Sparkle Man fundraising and such. Uh, JB's been putting it up on uh, Twitter at uh, D3FBHuddle. Uh, the link uh, this year we were uh, asking people to donate to St. Jude's Children's Hospital because uh, they deal with a lot of youth uh, cancer uh, patients. And uh, it, I, to me, it's one of the most devastating things to see children who just want to go out, be with their friends, go to school and have their fun times, lose that vitality because of this cancer uh, situation that they have to deal with. And to see Trenton, even at the age of 22, facing it, it's just a reminder of how many uh, young people in this country have to deal with this. Folks, hold your loved ones close here. Holiday season, every season. We uh, have often talked at this stage of the year about how our pursuit of Division Three football takes us away from the people who we care the most about. And I am certainly quite grateful for the fact that this game took place nine days before Christmas rather than sometimes five or six. So yay for the calendar. I'm happy about that. And how many days before your 50th birthday? I will turn 50 on Tuesday, December 20th. If you are in the Twin Cities, you can come join me at one of my favorite places to be, and that will be at Beer Choir for my 50th birthday. If you are in the Twin Cities, you probably know what Beer Choir is. I'm glad to see you. That would be just fine. Hallelujah. And that was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 326, released on Saturday, December 17th, 2022. I would say keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week, but we might, once everybody gets their stories in, take a small amount of breather for the holidays, but we'll be back with catching up on the coaching carousel. We will have a January podcast. We actually have big plans for the January podcast, so we are quite interested in getting to work on that coming up in just a little bit. This is the annual podcast where I try to do the entire set of credits from memory, and it's not super effective. Edit in post. If you'd like to talk more about Division Three football, you can uh, check us out on Twitter. I was told I wasn't supposed to edit. Using the D3FB hashtag, I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. Keith is at D3Keith. And Frank is at Frank Rossi. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. You can hear more of his tracks on Spotify or at djmentos.com. And if you're on Spotify, stop by the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast. Give us a rating or review. As far as we know, everybody says 
the algorithm really responds to ratings and reviews. We know that people listen to us on the Spotify platform quite a bit, and we appreciate those of you who do so and also post reviews. We're very happy about that. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance tonight provided by everybody in this room, along with Dave McHugh. Dave, we are thinking about you and your family, as well as Damara O'Malley. I would. This is where I say thanks for our guests. So thank you, Frank Rossi. Thank you, Greg Thomas. Thank you, Keith McMillan on the podcast. 326. Very happy about that. And Thanks, Gordon Mann, too. Thanks, Gordon Mann, too. Thanks, Gordon Mann, also. Also, thanks to Gordon Mann. And I feel like there's something else. Oh, yeah, that just that we call Keith the originator. So that's the last thing that's in the credits. And then you have to play Drass or Margraf, right? Well, so this means you don't listen to the end of the podcast. No, I, I got around. to the I, – I was on the last two, I think. Wait. I use you a lot in posts now. It's like you have I, – I keep going back through old podcasts where Keith says – funny stuff like and Pat don't edit out a whole bunch so that you can be right I or, remember that one or the thing that I've been using lately is like by the time you get to this maybe you should just take this out or there's one more it's like sorry you stay to the end of the podcast this week and there's no cool bonus anything next week though I mean I could go get that trombone all incredible nuggets from D3 historian Keith there you go. I, think, I like it I think I'm gonna keep it hey Pat what's up did you know we have a message board? We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. You can register to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. Thank the Patreons. Thank our Patreon subscribers. We didn't do any spots or anything in this podcast. We went 40-plus minutes just talking through. But if you want to support us financially, you can go to patreon.com slash d3sports. Or if your you know financial help is more of a one-time donation, we appreciate that. It's the season of giving. Go to d3sports.com slash help. And here I was thinking it was a good thing that there were no Roman or MailChimp ads in the middle of our podcast. Our site is not built on Squarespace. You know what I do have at home? What do you have? I almost brought it today. Uh, fan foam. A Purple fan Raiders foam. fan Purple foam. Purple Raider fan foam. Best. Is that the greatest sponsor in the history of the D3 podcast? I mean, they, their money was good, and they produced a thing that was D3 relevant, so I was happy about that. Good night, guys. Frank might go right to sleep, like literally. This is my room, so he can't watch the man. <laughs> <laughs>